start with an introduction based off the title. It says, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the chief musician set to Mahakla Linoth, a contemplation of Human and Esarite. We don't really know the translation of those words, but it's believed when it says to the chief musician set to, and it should be translated, the sickness of affliction. And that's what the psalmist is going to be looking at here as we go through those times when it seems as if we are strolling through the valley of the shadow of death. And as we look at that, taken from Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death is something that you go into because you go through it and you come out the other end. But what happens when you don't come out the other end? What happens when it seems like, well, there's no end in sight and the end just keeps not coming about. As I stated before in the book of Psalms, it's one of the most applicable books of the Bible. It's real people dealing with real situations and how God meets mankind in the midst of them all. Now, the pattern for this type of Psalm, Psalm 88, that we'll be looking at tonight, is usually a problem or circumstance stated in the first portion of the Psalm. In the middle, there's usually a turning point that comes through an awareness of God and who he is and what he's able to do in his relationship with his people. And then there's the blessings that follow out of the ashes as we conclude the Psalms. And then throughout it, we are left with hope in the midst of trials, once again understanding how God meets us in the middle of them. They can seem so desperate at the beginning, but God meets us and he gets us through. Again, Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comforts me. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Job 42, 12, now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then Job 42, 17, so Job died old and full of days. But, and this is what we're going to be looking at, and this is a really important psalm, Psalm 88. I mean, everything obviously is important. But what happens? What happens when you don't get better? What happens when there's no mid-turning point? What happens when things seem to slide downhill and they never make that turn that you're expecting to come every day, but it never really happens? We know that God is always working behind the scenes but what happens when he remains behind the scenes and you're not really sure what's, what's going on? And you're not really sure of what God's reasons and purposes are. What happens when the finances never really get fixed? When the loved one never gets saved? When the child never comes back to the faith? And when the healing never takes place? He says the psalmist here in Psalm 88 in verse 1, O Lord, God, my salvation, I have cried out to you day and night before you. Now again, we've looked at this concept of the Psalms. That in most of the Psalms, you can read the first verse and then read the ver last verse or verses and get a good idea of what's in between. And it kind of does work like that and it kind of doesn't in this Psalm. Again, verse one, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out to you day and night before you. And then look down at verse 16 through 18. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. And you're looking at that and think, what happened to the turning point? 
Matter of fact, it starts off, and again, in, in verse 1, O Lord God, my salvation, I've cried out day and night before you, but as it ends that way, did anything ever really get better? See, sometimes the glory of God's hand is hidden by an event so that it's not that God is not moving, it's just that you can't see him moving. God's always doing a work, but we don't always get to understand and know the work that God is doing. Now, as an example, in Matthew 27, 46, there's Jesus hanging upon the cross. And it says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you're ignorant of the big picture, if you didn't understand the work that the Father was doing behind the scenes, what conclusions would you draw? Here's Jesus, he's God, he's upon this cross, and now he even seems to be forsaken by God. How does all this work? How could God possibly do that? I remember we were watching the movie, and my wife and my son were watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth, and I was doing something for work, and I kept popping in and out. And I remember coming in in the crucifixion scene and seeing the Lord upon the cross and the things, you know, they were spitting upon him and just all the things that they were doing and thinking, man, if I was there, I would have stood up for, you know, kind of like the Peter syndrome. I, I would have stood up there and I, I, I would have I rescued him from that cross. Well, again, in my ignorance, there's no possible way I could rec rescue Jesus Christ. He's God. It's love that held him to the cross. That's a bond that I could not break. And so if you don't understand what the big picture of the trial is, you've got to see what, what, what conclusions do you draw. If I don't understand the big picture of the difficulty that I'm going through and it seems like there's no end in sight, then what conclusions do you draw? I have to understand and I have to trust in God who holds the totality of my life from the beginning to the end in his hand. And as I submit myself to the Lord for his reasons and his purposes, it's all of my life. And if God so is determined that the trial, trial is going to last more than a week, than a month, than a year, the trial may last a lifetime, then am I able to say, thy will be done. See, all things do work together for the good to those who love God, but it's very possible you may not see the good in this lifetime. When you get to heaven, it's no longer going to matter. When, it gets, when you get to heaven, you know, you, you, you're wanting to see the good and you don't get to see the good and you think, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, what was the good about all that? But when you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're in the presence of glory, I, I mean, all things are revealed and I think you have perfect knowledge, but you also have perfect knowledge of the presence of God and the absolute goodness of God. And I think when you're in heaven, just being in the presence of his absolute goodness is going to be enough to where there's no explanation that is going to be necessary. You're just going to realize how this good engulfs all of humanity. You're going to see the ultimate expression of the grace of God, and that's going to fulfill you. It's going to satisfy all of your needs. But again, for some of us, that's many years ahead. But as for today, we continue to walk by faith. Hebrews 10.38, now the just, those who God has justified, shall walk by faith, shall live their lives by faith. As we go through Psalm 88, we're going to see seven stanzas here today. Number one is going to be in verses one through two. We'll go through them, obviously, individually, but praying without ceasing. Verses three through five, under the shadow of death. 
verses 6 through 9, the depths of darkness, verses 9 through 12, the silence of the witness, verses 13 through 14, the silent God, number 6, verses 15 through 16, more sorrows, and then number 7, verses 17 through 18, more darkness. When does this get better, Pastor Mike? Well, keep in mind, there's always Psalm 89, and so that'll keep you coming back for the next time. But again, verses 1 and 2, O Lord God, my salvation. So he's understanding who God is and the magnitude of who God is, who God has been in his life. Now keep that in mind, our Savior. He's recognizing he's the God of our salvation. If God is powerful enough to save us, God's powerful enough to keep us and to continue to do that good work in all that goes on in our lives. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you, verse 2. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to hear my cry. So he's of the mindset that I'm going through this and God isn't hearing my prayer. Well, the thing about it is, as a child of God, God always hears your prayer. He's always mindful and he's listening with a heart of compassion because God loves us. He loved us enough to die for us. And so when it feels like we're dying, when we're going through that hard time, the Lord is there for us and we do have his attention. But again, his will is being worked out and it's being worked out in the midst of our ignorance. And I'm not saying ignorance in a bad way. I'm just saying our ignorance as far as not knowing what's going on. And so, so many times, and really the frustration in prayer comes when we have an improper perspective of prayer. We always, I shouldn't say it that way, but we can have that perspective that prayer is that which moves the hand of God. We're told in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us whenever we ask, whatever we ask, and we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. So prayer is not the purpose of me coming over to God, well, for the purpose of manipulating him, but for the purpose of receiving him, again, according to his desire and according to his will. Why would I ever want to change the mind of God? Think about it that way. You're praying. Now, we've just been told that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. So, again, it's all predicated on asking according to his will. And so, in the midst there of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, in the middle of that, there's that process of coming, learning and coming over to the will of God. This just doesn't mean that you've made a guess in the will of God and thrown up a prayer. There's a process that is contained here. And for some people, it's going to be a lifelong process in particular or individual situations and circumstances. Because I don't want to continue to pray something that is outside of the will of God. I don't want to continue to pray something that is according to the will of Mike. Why? Because if you compare God's will with my will, God's will is always perfect, it is always right, and it's just what is necessary. My will, well, in the face of God's will, my will is flawed. 
And Jesus gave the perfect illustration of that in Matthew 26. I'm not going to turn there, but verses 36 through 46, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his heart is vexed because he knows it's just a matter of hours before the sins of the world are, are brought upon him. And he's praying with such fervor that the Bible tells us he's even sweating blood. And you just see this intense time of prayer. But what in the, that intensity, in the midst of that intensity, what is the prayer that he prayed? Not my will, but your will be done. Now that's a mouthful. I mean, can you imagine the magnitude of faith that it takes to honestly pray that prayer? Lord, deliver me from this situation, but not my will, but your will be done. Lord, restore or heal, but not my will, but your will be done. I can't imagine dealing with uh, just, just this life-altering experience and how hard that must be within itself, but then to pray, not my will. I mean, I think sometimes we pray that, but we kind of have our fingers crossed, hoping that God's will is our will. But what happens when God's will isn't your will? What happens when you're praying for that healing? And I'll just use healing because that's the context of what we're looking at here. What happens when you're praying for that healing and God is saying, that's not my will? And you continue to pray and you're asking for that healing, but you know it's not the will of God. And are, are you able to move beyond that and to get on God's page? And to pray, God, I know that it's your will that the healing doesn't come, so enable me in the midst of it. And let's just say it's the personal day of your death. Lord, I know that you're going to take me home to you. Are you able then to enter into prayer to maintain your witness and to glorify God through that? I, I just walked through Donna's death with her as she prayed that prayer. And, and, and just joyful Donna. She was joyful all the way up until the day that she died and just a, just an amazing witness you know again her her response when she got the news of the day that that she was going to to die from the cancer that she had oh well absent from the body is to be present with the lord and never had she never asked to be healed of, of of what she was dealing with after she had gotten that news i really believe that she received the will of god through what the doctor gave her and for her that was good enough and it was just an amazing witness. And I'd like to say, hey, when my time comes, I'll be the same way. But none of us really know that until that time does come. And so praying without ceasing, we continue to pray. We continue to pray because prayer is that which gets us on God's page or reveals the will of God, and we're able to enter into the will of God. Secondly, verses 3 through 5, we see under the shadow of death, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. It appears the psalmist is the one who is dying here. And there's kind of this progression or regression in verses three through five, my soul is full of troubles, and then my life draws near to the grave, and then I am counted with those who go down to the pit, and the idea is those who, who die, who go to Sheol. I am like a man who has no strength. There's nothing I can do about it. 
adrift amongst the dead, just as those before me have gone and, and, and have left this world, so will I. Like the slain who lie in the grave, like those bodies are lowered into the ground, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. He's allowed this trial to get the better of him, and he's got an improper perspective of the whole situation. Because not only is God the Lord of our lives, even just as important, if not even more important, he is the Lord of the day of our death. So, although the psalmist is a believer, he doesn't understand that, that contrast between life and death. And, and that's the thing, you know, we're looking at the psalmist who did not have his faith fulfilled with the knowledge of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more so should we, as we understand to a greater degree the, the blessing that grace is in our life, that although maybe, well, one day I am going to lay on my deathbed, that's just the fact of the matter. But as I lay on my deathbed, God, help me to remember your grace and the goodness that you've lavished upon me that I would realize, because I know what the devil's going to do on the day of the death. Because just as I said, Donna's day was an alt, a, one of the greatest witnesses. Well, there's that spiritual battle that does exist, and Satan seeks to render your, your, your witness of no effect. And so he's going to remind you of every dirty thing you've ever done in your life, every sin that you have ever committed and how unworthy you are. But we thank God that Jesus Christ was worthy to die upon the cross and to take our sins away so I can boldly come before the throne room of God. And never will that verse speak to the volume that it does than on the day of my death when I will actually be entering into the throne room of God and I can have a boldness, of, we can have a boldness of the day of our death. We can boldly enter in because we know we're bold, boldly entering in to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the depth of our ability to walk by faith is so much greater with which God has revealed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember, I don't remember if it was in high school, I had a literature class, and one of the things that we did was we re read um, poetry. And one of the poems that I've just always remembered was by Robert Frost, Acquainted with the Night. I've become acquainted with the night. It was a, a poem that he had written after the death of somebody who was close to him. Um, I, I looked it up. I w was wondering, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope here, and was Robert Frost a Christian? And the best I could find out, he referred to himself as an Old Testament Christian. Well, that kind of mirrors what we're talking about here with the psalmist. Now, I'm thinking, though, today, what's an Old Testament Christian? It's got to be a Christian who has no faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one of the quotes that Robert Frost made is, man is compelled to stay afraid in his soul. Well, that's not biblical, and it's not right. Man is to find perfect peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. But going back to the poem he had written, Acquainted with the Night, and the night here would be death, I have been one acquainted with the night. I have walked out in rain and back in rain. I have walked the furthest city light. I have looked down the saddest city lane. I have passed by the watchman on his beat and dropped my eyes, unwilling to explain. I have stood still and stopped the sound of feet when far away an interrupted cry came over houses from another street. But no one to call me back or to say goodbye 
And further still, at an unearthly height, O unluminary clock against the sky, proclaim the time was neither wrong nor right. I have been one acquainted with the night. No understanding in death. No, no understanding whatsoever. And, and again, there's just that coldness and that emptiness as he's explaining this, this night, the darkness of times that we've experienced. Well, I present to you that the day of your death is not the darkest time. Matter of fact, never will you be more in light on the day of your death. Never more will God be revealed for who he is than on the day that you have died. That's one of my prayers, that I would die well. And what I mean by that is, is that I would live a life for Jesus Christ and represent Jesus Christ in every opportunity that I have, and how much more so in that ultimate opportunity, that ultimate expression of our faith, to die in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we have verses 6 through 9, the depths of darkness. You have laid me in the lowest pit in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all of your waves, Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up, and I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. To understand the depths of the psalmist's darkness, we need to see what he believes is darkness sources. I've underlined them in my Bible and need to see this from the perspective from what he's coming, where he's coming from, because you've probably been there yourself. If not, you'll probably be there yourself at some point. Again, this particular case, it's, it's his death, but whatever the situation is, what is he doing here? He, he seems to be, again, I've underlined all of the you's or your, he's blaming these things on God. And, and I, I know all things are allowed by God, and God is the one who's in control over all things. And God does orchestrate the day of our death. The Bible's very clear about that. Matter of fact, we're even told precious in the sight of the Lord is the passing of his saints. But here it's more of a blame thing than it is a trust thing. You have laid me in the lowest pit in darkness in the depths. No, he hasn't. He's going to be lifting us up. To, to, to his glory and to his marvelous light. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me. No, his wrath, you've been delivered from the wrath of God and you have afflicted me with all of your waves. No, God doesn't afflict. Yeah, there, there's the correction and there's still the issue of sin and how sin affects us and death has come about because of sin, but God hasn't afflicted us. Verse 8, you have put away my acquaintances far from me. Well, that's more the acquaintances than it is God. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. That's because you're not grasping it in faith and you're not holding on to it and trusting God. We trust in God for so much. Well, we trust in even the world for so much. On your way home, I guarantee you, when it comes time to stop, you're going to step on those brakes and you're not going to think twice about it. The next time you get on an airplane, we're gonna, Terry and I are going to be going to Texas for a wedding of a friend, and we're going to step on that airplane with the knowledge that, because my father told me he used to work in aerospace, that airplane was built by the lowest bidder. And I always wonder, what did he leave out? What did he leave out to get that contract? 
But, you know, as it's going down, I'm going to have faith that it's going to lift up into the air. It's going to stay in the air. And when it comes down out of the air, it's going to be where it's supposed to. I'm going to have faith that that pilot up there, that he did well in his training and he knows how to fly that airplane. You know, we have faith in so many things. An ultimate expression of faith is to have faith and trusting in God on the day that he calls us unto himself. And so to understand these depths, he, he, he's gone so far to blame God in these things. This is the God, how could you allow this to happen part? And there's nothing that does worse than somebody who has preached a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing worse than somebody who is thought to be a witness for the Lord, but again loses it on that final day when they are truly rendered um, unable to do anything about their situation, but obviously are in God's hands. Now, there's some commentators, I don't believe this, this I don't follow through on this line of thinking, because again, the title to the psalm is, uh, is inspired by God, and it says it's one of the sons of Korah, it even gives the man's name, a contemplation of Iman and Ezraite. But there's some who say that this psalm is penned by the same person that penned Job. Now, there are some parallels, but can't see how it's the same person. But you do look back at the theme of Job and God demonstrating that a man will serve God for love's sake apart from what God may allow to happen materially in his life. Now, the true test is not understanding why or when it will end or if it will end, but to continue to trust in God. So again, as I started out saying, what if it never ends? What if it just simply never ends? Are you able to continue to walk by faith? Are you able to continue to trust in God as you go through that hardship, just plug in the hardship, whatever it might be, especially one that's all-encompassing in your life? Are you able to continue to trust in God? Because it's been said many times, true, uh, true faith is revealed as we go through the trials that we do. And matter of fact, the greater the mature, the greater level of maturity a person has as he is able to walk in trusting in the Lord as he goes through the trials. And so again, it's something to consider. It's something that we need to, to continue to evaluate in our lives. You know, I'm, Sean was joking with me beforehand. When did you get your glasses? And I was about 40 when I got my glasses, and I'm thinking, man, if my sight keeps going downhill, what's it going to be like in 10 years? I'm going to be wearing Coke bottle bottoms with my glasses. You know, our health, the older we get, the more we deal with health issues. Can you continue to walk in the Lord? The things that you spoke about in your strength when you were younger and glorifying God during those days, are you able to continue to glorify God during the days when you're not so strong anymore, when you're not so healthy anymore? Th this will be extra credit, but read Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The preacher speaks of those things during that time. Verses 9 through 12, the second part of verse 9 through to verse 12, we have this this potential silencing of a witness. He says, Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or the faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of the forgetful? 
psalmist in in past psalms, this seems to be about the point for the turning point. But there is no turning point because it's going on and he's thinking, Lord, with the turning point in the past, there's been the glorification of you. And if this does bring me all the way to my grave, where are you glorified in that? Seems we should be coming to the point that I live happily ever after, but every day that I think it's coming, it never does. I mean, have you been in one of those trials that you're thinking, man, I can't wait for another week, a month, or a year to pass, or whatever, when all of this is over, and then a week, a month, or a year comes by, and you're still dealing with it, or maybe it's even intensified. I remember God in dealing with my wife and myself, and it was the conversion from being electrical contractor to entering into ministry. That was like a three-year process, and that was the hardest time that I've ever gone through in my life. And it's like, Lord, how long? And he kept telling me, just as long as as is necessary. And you can wonder, how long is that is is that going to be and i can remember specifically thinking i can't wait until next year at this time and this is all over and then when next year at that time came i remember thinking man it's been a year and it's still not over but god is faithful in the work that he's done he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it regardless now this is my addition to that verse philippians 1 6 regardless of how much it hurts regardless of how long it needs to take he's going to be faithful to complete the work that he starts and if you look at psalm 88 if this psalm does not exist you can think well maybe the health and wealth guys got it right the health and wealth guys they'll tell you if you have enough faith then you're never going to get sick if you have enough faith i don't know how they work it out in the face of death since everybody dies but uh, those, you know, if you have enough faith, then you'll, you'll, you'll prosper. And, and then basically what they're saying is you'll have a lot of money and a lot of possessions. But good and godly people that have tremendous faith don't always have a lot of possessions, aren't always wealthy. Amen? Most of us should be able to relate to that. Matter of fact, good and godly people, they get sick, and good and godly people will die. There's no doubt about that. And so again, the psalmist here, he's contemplating all of these things as he's going through his situation and things that just don't seem to get better. Now, we can't talk down to the psalmist here because God brings us to this place. Well, as I've said before, we are to look up to him in our trials. But what happens when you don't look up to God in your trials? He pulls your life out from underneath your feet, puts you on your back so you have to look up. And this man is on his back looking up. He's still whining and complaining, but now at least he's looking in the right direction. And so as he is doing that, I just seeing that God is going to meet him, but he's not necessarily going to get the answer that he desires. So we know sickness, poverty, and death are all part of a Christian life. Lord, what is to come of our witness if these things happen to your people? these sicknesses, these poverties, and this death, it's got the opportunity to intensify. Because just as we are going to go through those things and have the opportunity to maintain or even intensify our witness, it's going to set an example for those who come after us that will go through those things as well. And as I said, I pray that I walk strongly with the Lord and and have a good witness in my life, both as a pastor, but also as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather and friend, so on and so forth. But I pray, even as I set 
pray that I set a good witness in my life. I pray that I set a better one in my death that I can be an example for those who follow after me. I pray that my children, because one day they're going to die as well, that they would remember the day of my death, that I would set a positive example and inspire them and pray for the same thing for my grandchildren and the future generations. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And so Jesus Christ, as he went to the cross, he died on the cross. We know that he died. Why? Because he took sin upon himself. Because he took sin upon himself, he died. Now, how do we know that he achieved victory over sin? Because he achieved victory over death. The only way you can achieve victory over death is for victory to be achieved over sin. And because of that, he is the first fruits, the first of many more to follow. One day, I'm going to die. We are all going to die, as we've been pointing out, but we will become alive again. What's the confidence that we have? Well, it's not in ourselves because we've all been overrun by sin. We haven't achieved victory over sin according to ourselves and our own ability. But Jesus Christ has achieved victory. He achieved victory for himself, but also for us all. That just as Jesus died and was resurrected, we will one day die, but we will be resurrected as well. How do I know that he achieved victory over sin? Because he was resurrected. How do I know he achieved victory over my sin? Well, guess what? That you have to believe in faith. You have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith that he will overcome your sin, and because he overcomes your sin, that you in turn will be able to overcome death or he will be able to overcome your death and that's the great hope that resides in us regardless of what's going on for the day the great hope that we have is the victory that Jesus Christ achieved over sin and because he achieved that great victory over sin he achieved a great victory over death the greatest witness that I have personally observed as a pastor and have had the blessing to be part of, not just Donna, but others, and the deaths that others have experienced, disconnecting life support, whatever, being able to go into those situations and seeing people die in the faith in the Lord, it has inspired me. And I pray that I would be an inspiration to others. Fifthly, verses 13 through 14 are silent God. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? To hide your face from somebody is to not give somebody your attention. And that's what the psalmist is saying, that he does not have the attention of God. But we don't know when we, we well, one thing we do know is that we always have the attention of God but we don't know why God remains silent at times when it seems as if God isn't acting. We don't get all of the details. Again, the just shall walk by faith. So you have prayed about your situation. Your friends have pay, prayed about your situation. You, you've called the prayer chain. We put it on the prayer chain. Pastor Mike prayed about it on Thursday night. You've even changed your request. Maybe I'm not praying according to the will of God. <clears throat> you've tried kneeling. You've tried standing. You've tried laying down. You prayed in the King James, the New King James, and the NIV. You've done everything that you could possibly think to do, and still God is silent. Well, what does the Bible say? Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And again, we get into God's word, and God reveals there's going to be silent times. There's going to be times when we don't understand 
but you wait, you wait, and sometimes you'll wait without the silence ever being broken, but you know that God is good, and you know that God has the best for you, and you allow those times for your faith to be strengthened in the midst of that, even though it's tested to its limits. Number six, verses 15 through 18, more sorrows. I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors, I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. And so he sees these things that are going on in his life and he's wondering, is that all there is? Now, Another concept that we have seen in the Psalms, again, reading the first verse and the last verse, and most of them, although not this time, we get a good, a good picture of, of what has gone on in the Psalm. Well, I guess we still get it here because really God's just been silent, and so there's not really been a change from first verse to last verse. But a lot of times the preceding Psalm will lead into the next Psalm, and, and there's always light. Never does God leave us in darkness. And if you look into, we're not going to get into Psalm 89 for one reason. It's like 60-some verses, isn't it? 52 verses. So probably can't do that in five minutes. But if you look at the first verse, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And so there's always hope. It may not be until the next Psalm. It may not be until you're in the presence of the Lord. It may not be, well, we just never know when it will be. But the thing that I do know about God is, I know that my God is faithful. I understand the magnitude of the love that he has, but even greater than that, the great work which he has done. And I'll close with this last verse here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 58. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, is to continue steadfastly in what you know to be right, what you know to be good, and what you know to be true. Paul says, the one thing I do is to continue to push forward. And it's the one thing. Sometimes all these things around you, we're not going to understand. But the one thing we do is, is to take the word of God, embrace the word of God, and follow through in the word of God. Again, this psalmist, some of us may end our lives this way, not really understanding, but that's okay. I know that God understands, and that's all that really matters. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, for your good word your good word that meets us in every situation and circumstance. And I pray, Father, that we would continually exhibit the faith that you have called us to. But Lord, even in the midst of our faith, you help us, or maybe in the midst of our lack of faith, you help us in our faith. You strengthen us. And so, Father, we just thank you that you are a God who cares. Lord, you have said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And I would imagine if the psalmist was honest with himself and truly looked deep, he would see your hand in his life in the midst of that hard time. And so, Lord, as as things happen that we don't really, really know in the details and they can seem so 
encompassing and just consume the totality of who we are, I pray that we would remember the totality of who you are. We would cling to the promises that you have given us. And Father, we pray in the midst of it all, we so look forward to that day that we are with you. But as for this day, may we continue just simply to walk by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?